last week's message essentially was about blessed assurance, or the way the song goes, blessed assurance. You'll see that up behind me. Now, essentially what Paul told us is if you stay close to Jesus, you're going to be okay. Whatever comes, it's going to be okay. We have a place that has been prepared for us, and Jesus has told us about it, and Paul gives us some purposeful encouragement. Today, we kind of springboard into that. Now, I want to show you, as we begin, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it starts with, for this reason. You see that up behind me, for this reason. I want to pause there. There's going to be a lot of commas. Some of you know what a run-on sentence is. I want to talk to you a little bit about the way things were written in the New Testament. It's also written in the Old Testament. If you hear uh, a voice in the background, that's pizza being ordered for the men who are staying to plan on the carnival. Uh, We do have doors that are going to be placed over here and there that will cut that uh, noise off in the future. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have a new computer and the videos will work up behind me and you'll get to see the cool stuff I've prepared. (laughs) There you go. So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Bible was written in what is known as minuscule. How many of you know what that means? There's a few. Okay, so what this, what this is, is the way it was written is it, it's just a bunch of letters going, and they just keep going. There's no breaks in between words. There's no commas, no punctuation of any kind, no capitalization. It's just letters all running together. That's minuscule. That's the way the Old Testament was written. It's the way the New Testament was written. And if you think about it, that's quite impressive. When Jesus stood up amongst the experts opened the scroll, and he knew exactly where to start reading, and then said, today this is fulfilled among you. And he folded it up, rolled it up, and handed it off. That was impressive, to know how to find things without chapters and verses and without punctuation, without breaks in between the letters. That's impressive. So if you were a scholar in his day, you had to really know Scripture in order to be able to find it. Let me show you what this might look like. Look behind me at this this group of words. Have you ever seen a bun dance on the table? (laughs) Oh, you thought it said something else. See, you have to know it if you're going to understand it. You you read abundance on the table, didn't you? And I said a bun dance on the table. So minuscule can be confusing, and this is the way the New Testament was written. Now we have chapters, and we have verses, and we we have punctuation. We have commas. We have breaks. All those capitalizations that we have added over time to help us be able to understand it. But understand, all of that is the opinion of man. So when you see the periods and the commas and the capitalization and all the punctuation, that's man interjecting an opinion, usually a pretty good opinion, based on a lot of study of where the breaks should be and that sort of thing. And we're going to Today, we are going to have what appears to be a perpetual run-on sentence, but it's, it's on purpose. God inspired Paul to write it this way. And it's almost like you, you talk to people in, in today's world, people get excited about things for the, sometimes for no good reason. 
Sometimes they want to tell you about a restaurant they went to, even though right after they went there, they're all talking and going, ah, it wasn't that good, I didn't really like it that much. But as soon as they find out you haven't been there, then, oh my goodness, you have to go. You, you run into this, right? Well, people get enthusiastic about things, and sometimes they're not worth getting enthusiastic about. Sometimes you could flip the channel to a sales pitch that's 30 minutes or an hour of trying to sell you something because some very enthusiastic salesperson is, is, has very much convinced a lot of people to buy this product. And then when you get it, it's not really worth what it looked like it would be worth. But the reality is, Paul isn't a salesman. He actually rejected the product he didn't want anything to do with Jesus, was fighting against Jesus. He was fighting against anyone that talked about Jesus, was incarcerating and putting to death Christians, and yet Jesus confronted him, and Paul became a sold-out believer of the product. He is one who knows the product is good, and that's where the enthusiasm comes from. It's from deep within. And in a few weeks, we're going to talk about this kind of knowledge that is way beyond the surface knowledge, knowing that Jesus saves, knowing about his grace, that's great to know. But this is above knowing. This is internalizing it and living it and knowing how real it is from life experience. And Paul has spent so much time with these Christians in Ephesus, he wants to continue to spill out encouragement to them because this is the epicenter of, of culture of their day. And the Christians there have an incredible opportunity to influence the culture, which would have an impact far and wide. And guess what? This is for us. We have that same potential. And I want you to catch the enthusiasm that Paul has as we go through this, what appears to be a perpetual run-on sentence. So back to where we started. Chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason. For what reason? Well, he hasn't told us yet. But he's springboarding off the idea that you should have blessed assurance. For this reason, now he gives us, because, look at this, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. When you see the word saints, understand he's talking about Christians. This is the way the Ephesian church is acting towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. They, first of all, they have a faith in the Lord Jesus that is a tenacious faith. You wouldn't talk about it unless it was. Their faith is unwavering, and Paul keeps hearing about their unwavering faith. Why isn't he talking about witnessing it? He was there. He saw it. Because now time and distance have separated, and he has to rely on witnesses that tell him about their faith. I hear of your faith. I've heard of your faith. It has to be a tenacious faith for him to talk about it. It's a faith that's unwavering in the Lord. Then he goes on and says, and your love towards all the Christians. This is the way it's supposed to be. And Paul is commending them for this reason. There's a couple of reasons he gives us. You have incredible faith and you this remarkable love for Christians, for all the Christians. 
It's the way we're supposed to be. When we come together as central, we come together as a church, it should be this way. We should feel it when we interact with one another. You might come in through those doors. You might have come in today with things weighing heavy on you. It should be something that you don't expect, but it just happens. When your brothers and sisters in Christ see you, they are rejoicing on the inside, and hopefully it comes out in the way they express themselves to you. The way Paul is expressing this in the letter, talking about how he's excited about the Ephesians, but he's excited about them because they have this incredible faith and this remarkable love for other Christians. You should feel that with your brothers and sisters if you want to be like the Ephesian church. That's commendable. It continues after that comma. You'll go ahead and click. Oh, sorry. That's what happens when the preacher doesn't look at his notes. I got to tell you, the, the guy at the computer is with it and I'm not. Faith, I want to talk to you about faith. Some people think it's a blind leap in the dark. Faith is a tenaciously conscious step into the light, not a blind leap into the darkness. People try to say that's what faith is. You have to take this blind leap into the darkness. You have no idea what you're getting into to have faith in God. That's not true, Christians. Our faith is a very reasonable faith. When you read about it anywhere in the New Testament, you can hear God is trying to reason with us this only makes sense, this kind of faith that we're supposed to have. It's a tenaciously conscious step into the light, not a blind leap into the darkness. Does that make sense? Okay, now we can go to, after the comma, moving on with the next part. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul do you see the excitement leaping off the page? He never stops giving thanks to God for them. That's the way we, he's showing us an example of how we're supposed to be. That's one of those cool things about Paul. Here he is in prison, and yet he's encouraging the Ephesians. He's encouraging us. And as he's saying to the Ephesian Christians, I never stop thanking God for you. That's the way we should be when we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. In another one of Paul's letters, he says to pray without ceasing, which actually some of you think that Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. That's the shortest verse in the English Bible. The shortest verse in the Bible, originally in the Greek, is pray without ceasing. How do you do that? How do you pray without ceasing? Let me suggest to you, this. Every time a person comes to mind, whoever it may be, instead of just thinking about them, pray. It doesn't matter if you're driving down the highway, unless you have a habit of closing your eyes every time you pray. Don't do that <laughs> while you're driving down the highway. But why not when a person's, a person's image comes to mind, a person's name comes to mind, a thought of, a, of any person, why not pray for them? And when a Christian comes to mind, why not thank God for them? I can tell you if, you, if you search it out, selfishness pretty much is the root cause of all sin, but it's certainly the root cause of all interpersonal relationship problems. 
And if you can think selflessly and even thankfully for your brothers and sisters in Christ, there will be a whole lot less division amongst us. If you think that way on a regular basis, everything will go much smoother. Even in confrontation, even when there's a problem that we have with a brother or sister in Christ, if you're living your life constantly praying for them, when they call you on the phone, you get off the phone with one of the church members, one of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and you hang up the phone, why not say a quick little prayer, I thank you, God, for my brother or my sister in Christ. Why not? This is what Paul says. He never stops. How would it feel to you if you knew that your brothers and sisters right here did that on a regular basis? How would that feel if you, if you knew it, that that brother or sister that I see in church on a regular basis prays for me and thanks God for me? Do you realize how much easier it would be to get through your days when you're struggling, when you know they're praying for me? Something incredibly therapeutic about that knowledge. And Paul's just reminding them, I never stop. I always remember you in my prayers. And then it continues after that comma. <laughs> Once again, not paying attention to my notes. Let's not go there. Let's go to this place. This is a Greek word, metanoeo. I've given you this before. There's a reason why the preacher repeats things. I, you should be very thankful as you pray to God, thanking God for me. Be thankful that I did not repeat a story I've already told you because I was tempted. It's a funny one. But this Greek word here, metanoeo, it, it's translated repent. And it actually literally means, the way I've written it here and the way it's written in the New Testament, I change my mind. That's what that means, metanoeo. I changed my mind. What Jesus preached from the beginning, when he began to preach and perpetually continued to preach, was repent. Remember? What Peter preached on the day of Pentecost was repent. All the way through Revelation. Repent. We keep seeing that. We're supposed to, as Christians, live our lives constantly evaluating and self-evaluating. We're not supposed to be evaluating everybody else. We're supposed to be spending most of our energy evaluating ourselves and how we can rethink and get in line with what God wants us to be thinking about. Now, all of that you've heard before. I want to take you on a little bit of a different journey as we talk about I change my mind. Because this is what can happen. I don't know what your role is in influencing other people, but you must know you do have influence. Paul has influence, and he's trying to do that to the Ephesians, and God inspired him to do this so it can influence us. I change my mind. As I do this, I have a choice. Now, watch this line come up behind me. You'll see a yellow line. Say, I'm, I'm going to change my mind. I've got a decision in the way I think. I can choose. And it's a fork in the road. I'm, I do, I'm doing a visual, and I'll show it again to you later, but this is quite elaborate. So if you're taking notes, get ready. There's a bunch of stuff here. You can choose the easy way. Now, watch this. This is a red line. You can choose the easy way. Uh, and that is to be negative. You can choose to just think negatively. It, it's easy. When you walk into somebody's house 
and they have this crack in the sheetrock because the house has settled a little bit. They have forgotten about it over time, and I need to get that fixed, but, you know, I just keep forgetting. I don't look up there that much. You walk in, and you see it. It's easy to see the negative and focus on it. Somebody walks up to you, and they've got a crumb on their shirt. That's what you focus on. It's easy. Focus on that. A hair out of place, makeup smeared, shirts halfway tucked in, halfway not tucked in, and whatever. You focus on the negative. It's so easy. Driving down the road, the weather is good. There's a road crew slowing you down. It's easy to focus on, ah, I'm going to be late now because there's a road crew fixing the potholes that you would be complaining about if they didn't fix. See, it's so easy to focus on the negative. Now, I want to talk about a few things. Let's go ahead and flesh it out and see what this looks like because we need to do some self-evaluating. I know I'm on a rabbit trail, but I think this will be helpful to all of us. And if I could try to be more like Paul, I'd like to help shape your thinking in a more positive way, so I want to try this. So, how would you think negatively? Well, one of the ways you would would dwell on, your life would be full of uh, misery. That's one word that's negative. People that choose to think negatively oftentimes live in misery because that's what they choose. And, and oftentimes they are full of bitterness, resentment, sadness. And it's okay to have sadness, by the way, but you don't want to live there. Jesus had moments of sadness. Remember just before the cross? Remember just when, when uh, his friend Lazarus died? And he was sad, not because Lazarus was dead, but because other people were sad. He, he's sad when we're sad. It's okay to have sadness. Don't live there. And these people who choose to have a negative way of thinking oftentimes are very critical. Judgmental, you know. They also are full of hatred and pessimistic. I could have put other words up there. I just wanted you to think about those because when you have a choice to think a certain way, all these negative things, you choose to think that way. But the other fork that we could take would be harder. And you'll see a green line come up, and it's going up. It's uphill. It's a different way of thinking, and it's not the easy way. You have to purposely choose to think differently. Everyone else, it's so much easier just to take the easy way. Most people will take that path, but the hard way is to be more positive. And let's talk about what that looks like. Here's some words that might seem familiar, might, might appear in actually order in places in the Bible. First of all, you would have faith, hope, love. Oh, this is sounding very familiar, isn't it? Peace, patience. You would be optimistic and you'd be full of happiness if you choose the harder way to be more positive. In fact, that's the whole point. You have to choose how you're going to think about things. And not only that, Paul would be, as he said in an example, encouraging us to keep that type of positive thinking. 
And it doesn't mean you live in a fantasy world. It doesn't mean the normal Norman Vincent Peale way of only positively thinking all of the time. Sometimes you have to deal with the negative. But all of this is about attitude. That's what this is about. Someone asked me today if I had any more of these no bad days, which says on the inside very subtly, attitude is a choice, wristbands. Yes, I do. Um, they're on the table over there. there. Take one. The orange ones, there's only a few orange ones, are for smaller wrists. Attitude is a choice. You know, I, I think everybody here knows I spend a lot of time dealing with maximum security prisoners. I visited a guy a few months back, and as I did, he asked me about my wristband. So I told him. Now, this particular individual was in what we would call solitary confinement. So it's concrete walls, steel door, very limited interaction with other humans at all. And he's been there for a while. And he asks, as I walk by, and when the chaplain walks by, they almost all of them want some interaction with you because they don't get much interaction. So when the chaplain walks by, I, you know, you stop. So I stop, and he wants to talk. What's, a, what's that about your wristband? And as I told him about no bad days, attitude is a choice, inside these concrete walls with a steel door, limited interaction, and I've got to tell you, I had already handed him some material. That's how he saw my wristband. It came out of a, I wear a sport coat almost every day, and it came out of my sport coat as I was handing material. And it's very difficult to do this. You have to choose very thin material because there's a very small thing. You have to slide it in. And as I'm handing him this material, and he asks about this and I talk about it, he gets extremely insulted and starts cussing at me, starts telling me that I'm lying to him, that there's no way you could choose to have no bad days. There is no way. And he starts shoving the material back to me, doesn't want to talk to me, wants me to move on and get out of the way. I prayed for him. Next time I saw him, it was just a few weeks later, again, concrete wall, steel door, limited interaction, I walked by, Chaplain! He wants to talk to me. <laughs> he wants some of that. He wants some of that no bad days, attitude is a choice. I want some of that. I need that. I'm sorry the way I talk to you. I understand why it would feel horrible in concrete walls and steel door. Paul is writing as he is incarcerated to the Ephesian church. And instead of dwelling on his condition, he's choosing to build up these people he's writing a letter to. It is about attitude. I'm going to give you a quote from the New Living Translation. Look at this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, Philippians 2.5. Another letter Paul wrote while in prison. What was that attitude? Well, it was selfless. It was optimistic. Look at this quote from Zig Ziglar. Attitude, not aptitude, determines altitude. Wow. Yeah, Jesus showed us that. Paul is demonstrating that as we're walking through this perpetual 
run on as it appears to us sentence. Now let's go back to that scripture where we left off in verse 16. And let's go ahead and move to verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, listen to the excitement in the tone of his words, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants God to give you everything that you need so that you can taste the glory of God as you learn what it is he has for you. That, that idea of revelation from God is this idea of enlightenment, as, as the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 6. This idea that a light bulb goes off in your head and you can, you can just taste the goodness of God. All right, there's another comma, so let's move on to the next section of Scripture. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, I know, and you know, we don't have eyes in our hearts. This is figurative language. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's an interesting thing. We're back to attitude and how you choose to think. But this way, he's talking about emotion in your heart. He wants us to be able to see in such a way that is good in such a way that pleases the Lord so that our, we're able to feel the things we're supposed to feel. All right, we'll move on in that. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He wants us to not just know about the hope, to know the hope, to live the hope. That little boy was in the earthquake under a bunch of rubble, and uh, there were several survivors. It was in Asia. I, don't, I wish I could remember all the details. True story. I think Chuck Swindoll is the one that told it. And as he was, so many people were on the cusp of deciding whether or not they could live or die. In other words, the way they chose to think would determine if they give up or cling to what life they had left in them. As all of this rubble was piled upon them, many were injured. This little boy said, my dad said, if there was ever an earthquake, he would come. Don't give up. My dad will come. And he kept saying this as time passed, and eventually one day, rocks pulled away, and that boy's father was right there, and he told them, I said my dad would be here. I told you. And there were people that testified that they were ready to give up and just die. But because that boy was so convinced his father was coming, they survived. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming. Whatever you're going through, no matter how heavy it seems, no matter how bad you feel, Jesus is coming. This is hope you can know. You don't have to just know about it. You can feel it. You can live it. And it might make all the difference in the world in your spiritual journey if you just know that hope. And Paul's trying to call the Ephesians and us to know it. And we'll move on in our text. Go ahead and click the next button. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
the hope is that there is going to be a better day beyond what we're going through right now. Romans 8.28, I talked about it last week. We'll go ahead and move to the next part of the text. Verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? God is an amazing God. I love, I, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but one of my favorite passages is a kind of a transitional passage in, in Psalm chapter 7, where you're praying, David's praying like, oh, my enemies are coming after me. Why don't you answer? And, and he's not hearing God answer. But then he goes on to describe that God is a God that is sharpening his sword. You keep talking. What? Keep talking. He's pulling out his flaming arrows and he's getting ready to unleash his power. God has immeasurable greatness in his power. For those of us and pointed toward us to support us who believe. Moving on in the text. According to the working of his great might. I don't know if you're catching this, but Paul is a pretty good salesman here. He is building up this sovereign Lord. I don't know if you understand the sovereignty of God, but God can do what he wants, will he wants, uh, when he wants, to whomever he wants, however he wants, because he's God. We wouldn't exist without him. The whole universe wouldn't exist without him. So remember, God is God, and he's got incredible power that really our words can't fully describe. But Paul's doing a pretty good job, don't you think? Moving on in the text, verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God demonstrated this power, and he, not only did he raise him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you live for him, you're in the kingdom. That's good stuff. Moving on to the next section. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Wow, he's above anything that we can even talk about. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus has been placed above all in every capacity imaginable. So you can have hope. He's got this. Whatever we've got to go through, he's got this. And if there's anybody who could claim, I've got this, it would be him. Because he's above it all. He's got the power above all. It doesn't matter what kind of superhero they come up with next for the big screen. They could never come close to even fantasizing what Jesus has. I don't know if you noticed. There's a period. You see that? There's a period. What? Are you kidding me? That was a long sentence. It seemed like a perpetual run-on sentence, except commas were interjected. But my goodness, Paul, can you get more excited on the pages of Scripture? I don't know. It's pretty cool stuff. I think he might in another passage. But we'll go ahead and make that arrow go away. If you click, it'll go away. Notice this. Next word. And. Oh. I was all excited about that period. I thought it was done. Nope. He goes, and Paul is not done. I got to tell you, this is the nature of God. When you think he's done 
everything imaginable and, and just, it all just comes to a head and you think, wow, there's more. Paul is demonstrating exactly the way things play out. I, I, I can see the sovereignty of God playing out and having Paul write this because look the way he does it. He builds, he builds, he builds. He think, we think we, we've got an end to it right there and boom, and there's more. Okay, so we'll go on with the next words. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. All of that power, all of that stuff is all funneling down to how he wants to fulfill his will on earth. And you know how he wants to do that? Through his church. That means you, and that means me. All of that he wants to channel through us. He wants to deliver his sovereignty through us. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you've witnessed miracles happen through prayer. Things in your life, you're thinking, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. And then you're reminded Romans 8, 28 is true in my own life. It does work out. God has a plan, and if we follow his will, he seems to work it always, always work it out for his glory and honor through us. Wow! I don't know about you, but when I read a chunk of scripture like this, I just, I can't help but think, man, he loves us. He gives us this kind of good stuff in a small section of scripture. I feel like he sold me on it. I'm already sold on it, but he just sold me again. I love it. I love it. Because God shows me he loves me, and he wants to use me. Despite all of the stupid stuff that I've done and I continue to do, he can still use me. Can you believe it? He can still use you. And that's the design. It's not about bringing glory and honor to us. It's about bringing glory and honor to him, but he wants to do it through us. And that is very cool. Now, Normally, the preacher might give you the title at the beginning, but the title of the message today, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and following, The Benefits of a Tenacious Faith and a Sovereign, sovereign Lord. That's what Paul is doing with this small chunk of Scripture in this letter. He's trying to tell us about the benefits of a tenacious faith and a sovereign Lord. Christians, if we have a tenacious faith that is like the Ephesians, one that is worth thanking God about every time other people think of us, then they will see the sovereignty of God in our lives. That's the design, and this brings glory to God. Remember that slide I showed you about attitude, <laughs> and you've got a fork in the road, I wanted to put this up there again for you because if there's anything that you've seen visually today as I'm trying to highlight, illuminate Scripture, I think this could stick. When you've got a choice to make, how you're going to think about a given thing, I recommend that you choose to have the attitude that is pleasing to the Lord. You choose the harder way. You choose the more positive, more difficult way 
but a way that pleases the Lord and brings glory and honor to him in the end. Because what will happen, I don't, I don't know if you've come across people that just exude this type of thing. The kind of people that, that seem to find optimism all of the time. This is, this is old. Not, it's not old water. It doesn't have like bacteria growing in it or anything. But the analogy is old, right? I've got a glass, and you can choose to see it as half empty or half full. Christians, there's a better way. And it might seem trite, but this glass is completely full. Can you see that there's only half of amount of water in there? The rest of it's full of air. Just the, the way I choose to see it. Come on, stay with me. I don't know if you've been around people that constantly are looking for some way, somehow, to, to bring glory to God in what they do. People that are optimistic, the spiritual people that are just so optimistic that it rubs off. Have you seen how contagious this can be? You can be going through misery and get around somebody like that and you just feel picked up because God's sovereignty is coming out. His power is coming out through them. And I got to tell you, I struggle with this. Why else do you think I wear a band that has to remind me no bad days? And on the other side, attitudes of choice. That's why I wear it. Because sometimes I forget. I, I want to focus on the crumb on your shirt, the hair that's out of place, the crack in the wall. I want to focus on the negative, and that doesn't please the Lord. I want to be the kind of person that builds other people up, even if I am incarcerated a long ways away and simply have to make a phone call, write a letter, or whatever it is I do, like Paul did to the Ephesian church. I want to build other people up to the glory and honor of God. What about you? I want to learn from these hard time letters. And it's the series. You can see a slide that's actually complete up behind me. That's, if the video worked, you would have saw that at the beginning. And it would have been really cool. Just imagine. I want to bring the glory and honor to God. I want his power to come through me as I interact with other people. I want people to be drawn to Jesus as I live for him. What about you? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that comes to life every time we read it. God, you are so good to us. You motivate us. You move us. Help us to do our part and think in a way that is pleasing to you. God, we want to bring glory and honor to you so that you can shine your light through us and draw others to you. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.